We have an exciting guest with us today, Brandon Samples, and he's going to be sharing about the Garden of Gethsemane as we build this series to Easter. I know that you're going to enjoy it. Thank you for joining the Pinewood Church Podcast. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you fresh perspective on how God is moving in your life. For more information, visit us at pinewoodboulder.com. Enjoy the message. I'm so honored to get to speak tonight and get to open up God's Word uh, with you guys. Uh, Last week, uh, we talked about the Last Supper, and we're continuing in the series of leading up to Easter and leading up to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so... Parker did an awesome job talking about uh, the communion that Jesus held and uh, prophesying that Judas was going to be the one that actually betrayed him. And we ended off last week with the disciples and Jesus singing a hymn together. And so uh, uh, what's awesome about uh, this text is we're really going to get to see into Jesus's life. Um, Before we go in, uh, I'm from Oklahoma. uh, So if I have a little bit of a southern accent, that's what it is. I just had a baby two months ago. Uh, he's up on the board. He is awesome. Uh, I was nervous before I come up, but I get to look at my baby right there. He is awesome. That's my wife. Um, and uh, man, he's two months old. He's brightening up our day every day. And so the message tonight is called Preparation Goes Further Than Commitment. Preparation goes further than commitment. And so we're going to look into Jesus and the disciples going through a massive trial, building up to the cross of Jesus. And so we're going to look at, man, what does it look like to go through trial? I know a lot of us have gone through different struggles and different hardships in our life because that's the way life is. Whether it's a death in your family, maybe you're dealing with some sort of divorce in your family, maybe there's a sick relative or a friendship that ended abruptly and you don't know how to fix it. And you never saw yourself in this situation and all of a sudden you're left having to pick up the pieces. And so how do we prepare for trials? It kind of sounds like this vague, weird thing. It's like part of trials is not knowing when they come, right? You don't know what form they're going to take, what it's going to look like in your life. But for us as a body of believers, the scriptures are clear that the way that we prepare for trials is by pursuing Jesus. That in that moment, our pursuit of Jesus will determine our response in the situation. Our our pursuit of Jesus is our preparation. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll open the text. God, I just thank you for today. God, I thank you for Jesus and your word, Lord. I'm so thankful that uh, you allow us to come together and just look into the text and look into what you say uh, about our lives, God, that you were able to be vulnerable enough to send Jesus down to earth so that we could have a relationship with you. God, I pray that I would be your messenger tonight, God, that I would uh, just glorify the text that you put in front of me and that we could all grow closer to you because of it. Amen. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 26 through 31. It says this, and so we're going to be kind of going through different uh, perspectives of this story. And so we just left where they're all singing hymns together, disciples and Jesus, and we're going to see how the disciples prepared in this moment. And so this is the preparation of the disciples. It says this, then Jesus told them this very night, you will fall away from me or fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if I fall away on account, or even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter declared, Even if I have to die, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples agreed and said the same. And so, it's kind of a weird transition, right? We're talking about the Last Supper. The disciples are singing hymns. And then the very next passage is Jesus just speaking this prophetic promise over the disciples that you all will leave me. It's like, whoa, we're singing hymns. Now you're telling me I'm like going to leave you. What's going on? And so Jesus is being really direct and intense because he knows what's about to come. He understands that the cross is waiting for him. And he understands that his disciples aren't ready. And so the response is Jesus I would never do that. Even if the entire world, and Peter even goes, man, I don't even know about the other disciples, but if all fall away, I would even die. It's like the other disciples are like, dude, we've been here the entire time that you guys have. Like, what, what, what makes you so different? But he's, he's being very direct with the disciples saying, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die and rise again, and you all will scatter. And so the, the disciples are suffering from a case that I like to call, uh, it would never happen to me syndrome. Anybody ever have that? I, I had it uh, this last week. Uh, so that beautiful baby boy that you saw on the screen, uh, I tortured him this week. It was awful. Um, I was holding him and I realized that his fingernails were too long. And so if you're a parent, you already know where I'm going. And so his fingernails are too long. And I'm like, hey, babe, I'm like rocking him. He's kind of being fussy. And I'm like, I don't want him to scratch his face. Like he's already done it once. Don't want him to scratch his face. So he has these long claws. And I go, hey, will you get me the, the fingernail clippers? And she's like, yeah, for sure. She comes up and gives them to me. And I start rocking and I start to slow down. And he's like fidgeting. And Sarah's like, are you sure you want to do that? And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. And like I pull up his hand and he's like doing this thing like where he's like, kind of dancing and like I like clamp on his hand and I'm like and I just see it the top of his finger is just gone it's just like blood just starts coming out of it like crazy and like no sound has been made but my eyes are like and my wife just like sprints over grabs him is holding him in the arms like screaming uh, like everything's going crazy I'm like beside myself and I look up and Jax is being held on her chest, and there's just blood all over her neck. And I'm like, my son lost a finger. You know, it's like, I am such an idiot. And the whole time she's like, are you sure? I, are you, I, I don't know if this is a good idea. And I'm like, honey, this is the guy stuff, you know. And so, maim my son, and I like look at her, and I go, Sarah, I'm never going to do that again. And she kind of looked at me like, do you feel like you needed to say that? Like at this point, like you, like this is going terribly. Obviously you're never doing this again. And so, man, I had this, this thought in my head of, man, that would never happen to me, right? It's like, I'm so far above this. And I came into it and I was not cautious at all. I didn't use the right temperament to cut my son's fingernail. And you know what happened? I, I didn't take the right precaution. The same way with the disciples, when they were hearing Jesus, give them this promise that they're going to fall away. And it's funny because they like a, disagree with them to his face, right? It's like Jesus Christ told you this was going to happen. And they're still saying no. You know what I mean? It's like the God of the universe is warning you about what's to come and he wants you to be prepared. But they're so assured of themselves that they have this view that it's just unrealistic. And so they fall on account of their pride. Their pride caused them to fall. 
And so we see this right before Jesus walks into the Garden of Gethsemane. And so you see the hearts of the disciples are already very confident. See, they're very committed. See, they, they have no doubt that whatever happens, even to the point of death, that this commitment with Jesus, this three-year walking through the wilderness, preaching to others, seeing these miracles, they've seen it all, that there's no way that they would ever break this commitment. But Jesus knew that they weren't fully prepared. And so he walks them in to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to see what happens in Matthew 26, through 30, or 26, 36 through 41. It says this. Then Jesus went to the disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch for me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so Jesus just had this conversation with the disciples saying, hey, you will be scattered. You will fall away from me. And Jesus, you will, or Peter, you will deny me three times. You won't just run away. You will disown me. And so what does he do? He takes them to the Garden of Gethsemane so he can let them into his life. And he goes and takes the sons of Zebedee, which is James and John, and Peter. So why does he take Peter? Because he's the one that's saying, even on account of death, I will not fall away from you. But he understands that he isn't prepared. His, his heart isn't in the right state to follow him. And so just a couple observations from this text is they're claiming to have such commitment. But when Jesus leaves for a period of time in prayer and comes back, he finds them sleeping right? It's like, that doesn't sound like a committed person. If you walked into your boss's office and you're like, man, no matter what, project is done, 5 p.m. And he's like, okay. And he like comes back and you're like sleeping on your desk. He's like, you're not committed. This is, this is exactly what's happening with Jesus. He, they're speaking this commitment, but their heart isn't following it up. And so they're, they're falling asleep and they can't keep watch. And Jesus specifically tells them, hey, pray not to fall into temptation right? You guys are falling asleep. At least pray not to fall into temptation. And for the longest time, I would read this text. And when I think of falling uh, into temptation, uh, I think of, you know, kind of like the party scene. I work on a college campus and I do student ministry. And so I think of, you know, substance abuse, sleeping around, kind of like the crazy, craziness of college. But what's really interesting about this is that's not even an option at this point, right? They're secluded from everyone. And so what temptation is he talking about? He's actually talking about weariness. He's talking about stay alert, stay awake. You guys are falling asleep, literally falling into temptation of not pursuing me to your fullness. I can't tell you how many times where I've gone out and I've worked a late night and I've woke up the next morning and been like, man, I'm too tired to get up and do my quiet time. I'm too tired to pursue the Lord. I'm too tired to give my full heart to this. You know what sounds a lot better is Instagram. Maybe I can scroll through that, or maybe I can check some scores, right? And so instead of giving my full heart and my full attention to prepare myself to be aligned with what the scriptures say and what Jesus has for me in my life, I allow myself to fall into a slumber. 
Maybe it's, you know, going to crew after, after a long day of work. Man, I've worked so hard today. I just want to go home and relax. But what's crazy about that is our rest is in the Lord. Our rest is in the Lord. And Jesus knows that. And with this coming trial of the cross coming, he knows that this sleep is not going to do what the disciples are intending it to. That their strength would be in Jesus and strength in the Lord. And if they pursue him with the fullness of heart, that they wouldn't fall into temptation. Preparation goes further than commitment. The disciples were committed, but they were not prepared We're going to look at Jesus' perspective now. So we're rewinding back into the text of the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus has a different way of preparing for his time in this trial. See, Jesus, man, I love this scripture. Honestly, I think it's one of my favorite that is in the Bible because Jesus allows himself to be vulnerable with us, his people. See, Jesus is a very unique person. Thing because he's 100% God, 100% man, and meaning that he went through very similar things that we do. And so he knows that he's about to go through this very intense death, and he doesn't want to do it. He's feeling all sorts of emotions, and he has this heavy heart, but he still takes James, John, and Peter with him so that we can see the way that he deals with this, even though he's struggling in the temptation of not fulfilling why he came. And so Jesus is being vulnerable, and he brings Peter because he knows that he is going to deny him. And so he, he confronts them, and he confides in them before he even goes and prays. He says, my heart is troubled to the point of death. Have you ever had a heart that's troubled to the point of death? I know that there's times in my life where I've felt troubled to the point of death. Where I'm like, man, I don't know how I'm going to continue to go on. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this obstacle and this hurt in my life. Only through Jesus can I do that. And he says this. And what's so interesting is he uses a word that's translated in the Greek. And it says, the greatest sorrow imaginable. So the New Testament was written in Greek. And the translation for the sorrow he felt was greater than any man had ever felt. And so why is this? Why is this sorrow that Jesus is feeling so intense and so much greater than you and I could ever feel? And it's simple. It's because he knows that he isn't just going to die. It's what is going to happen on that cross. See, you and I have all earned death. We've all earned this separation from God because all of us have committed sin. We've committed wrong. We've done things that don't line up with the will of God. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus was perfect. Jesus always had his intellect and his soul and his heart aligned with what God wanted him to do in that time. And he's sitting there knowing that in a day's time, he is going to be hung on a cross and not only die, but the death he, he dies, he's going to be forsaken for the first time by his God, by his Father. From the very beginning, they say that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Since the beginning of time, Jesus has been with God. And not only did he leave a physical presence with God in heaven to come down and serve us as a man, but he was about to go to the cross and pay not only for one person's sin, but the sin of the entirety of the world. 
and he's feeling the weight of this, and he doesn't know how to feel because he's always been in the presence of God. He's always had a connection of God, and because of us, he's about to lose it. And so what does he do? What does he do in this moment? Jesus sought after God. It says in the scriptures, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. So Jesus is feeling the weight of everything that's about to come. And he's like, God, I don't want to do this. This is terrible. Find a new way. You you are the God of the universe. There has to be a different way. This has to be something that can change. My God, take this cup from me. And he ends it with not my will, but yours be done. He's seeking out to God. He's not separating himself from everyone. He's not putting up barriers. He took the disciples with him because they're his closest friends, and he sought out to God. And he's prayed for an hour. It says in the scriptures, he prayed for an hour, and he comes back, and he prays this his second time. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. It's completely different. It's a different prayer. It's a different heart posture. It's a different demeanor. See, when we see the disciples falling asleep and they're not pursuing God, there's no heart change because they're not seeking after him. They're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in his life. They're not seeking God for what is best for them in that situation and what is God's will. But Jesus comes before him, puts his face on the ground and says, hey, I don't want to do this. Not my will, but yours be done. Then he comes back and he says, hey, if I have to do this, like, I I need your help. Like, if this is your will, you have to strengthen me. You have to help me take this cup because I don't want to do it. My flesh says that I don't want to do it. And seeking out after God, his heart is changed. See, if we handle temptation in the same way, God can work on our hearts. God can change us. But when we separate ourselves from seeking God... It cuts us off from the very thing that can give us a new heart. I think it's really interesting when I look at this because, man, there's so many different ways that Jesus could have chose to handle this situation. For me, when things get tough, it's really easy for me to run to other things other than God. There's a whole uh, plethora of things that are begging for our attention. You know, Instagram, we got ESPN, we got sports going all the time, we got TV, we got different social occasions, we have work. All these things are fighting for your attention. All of them are fighting for us to be distracted. But where does our attention need to be? It needs to be on the Father. And so I think it's even interesting because Jesus brings along his godly counsel in this situation. Because for me, I know there's times in trials where I'm like, man, if God loves me, he like wants me to get out of this situation. Like, this is terrible. This is really, really hard. And I know that there's people that would give me the answers I want. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't go to, there would have been tons of people that would have told him what would have been easy to hear at that point. Jesus, like, you don't need to die on the cross. Even Peter at one point said, hey, you will never die. And he has to say, get behind me, Satan. He doesn't reach out to the people that are going to give him the easy answer because sometimes God isn't concerned with our happiness. He's concerned with our holiness. See, Jesus wasn't happy to go to the cross. He wasn't ecstatic to die on the, the cross for all of our sins, but he knew it was the God's or his Father's will and that this was going to give him the most uh, glory on earth. 
And so Jesus is able to fulfill this command that God had gave him because of his preparation, because he sought out the Father. And it says that he got on his knees and he was sweating what seemed like drops of blood. And the disciples are seeing this. And they're just going, man, what is going on? They still don't understand that he's about to be taken and die. And so uh, at this point, Jesus gets up and sees them for a third time. And they're, they're asleep again. And he's like, man, you're asleep again. Here comes my accuser. And Judas comes with an army or with a group of people um, and the high priest. And Jesus says, come to do, or, uh, do what you came for, friend. And even in that moment, if I'm Jesus, I'm so angry that somebody I'd given my life to for three years that I had taught how to follow God, how to love one another, and all I did was pay him respect and honor him. Man, I would be very angry with him at this point. But Jesus shows us how to even love our enemies in this situation. And he's like, man, Jesus, uh, or Judas, come do what you came for, friend. And he comes up and he betrays him with a kiss and he's taken into custody of the Pharisees to be put on trial. And so we, we later then see that the disciples do split up. They all leave Jesus in his hardest time the time that he needed his backup the most, and he knew that God was about to leave him as well. And Peter denies him three times before the rooster crows. See, they were very committed, but they weren't prepared. The reason that Jesus fulfilled the gospel of dying on the cross is because he sought God in trials. And so what does this mean for us? Right? This is a a lot of information. How do we obtain it and then use it for us? I know for me, it's having a deep pursuit of God on a daily basis. What does your daily devotional time look like to God? I love, I mean, it's one of the best ways I've heard it put when Pinewood says, where your money is, your heart will be also. But I even want to extend that to where your time is, your heart will be also. Your time is a currency that you choose to spend on different things. Your time is wasted or invested. And, and God says that when we invest in the kingdom, and or in Matthew 6.33 it says, seek my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So many times I can get caught up in the world and all these things I have to do and oh, I have a wife and I have a kid and I have a job and I have to do all these errands and then it's so easy to wake up and justify not spending time with God. And it's not like if I miss a day in the word or miss a day in prayer that all of a sudden my standing with God is different. But what is the normality in your life? Are you seeking after God? Is it five minutes a day? Is it 10 minutes a day? Is it distracted time? I know there's times for me when my phone is going off, I have to leave my phone in a different room because I'm just like, seriously, because if I hear a buzz, I, I'm like thinking about God and I'm like, and, and seriously, and it can ruin, and, and it's stupid that I have that bad of an uh, attention span, but that is the, the serious, and I take it that serious where I need to put my phone on vibrate and I need to leave it. And so... It comes to the conclusion that preparation goes further than commitment, but I even want to say that preparation is commitment. The way that we prepare is our commitment. So you can say that you're committed all day, 
but what does your time look in that? And so right now, I'm a big NFL fan. I love football. Everybody's showing up for training camp, right? And it's like, there's some people that are, some people that aren't. And if you don't show up to training camp, it's like, man, you are not committed to the team. You're kind of uh, thinking there's going to be a trade involved, or maybe there's, there's something shady going on. You're holding out on your contract. There's a lack of commitment. What we're committed to, we have no issues as humans to invest time in it. And unwavered time. It's like, I'm going to put all my effort and time into this because this is where my identity lies. Maybe it's in the gym. Maybe it's in your workplace. If only I can make this much money or if I could gain this position or whatever it may be, that's where all your time goes. But Jesus doesn't say to do that. Jesus says, confide in me. What I love about Jesus uh, praying Uh, that that deep prayer of saying, I don't want to do this, is, man, I feel like when I pray to God, sometimes I could say things that, like, he doesn't want to hear. It's it's too dark. It's too deep. uh, There's too much emotion in it, but God wants to hear that. All of us are going to go through trials. All of us are going to go through hardship. So how are you going to face it? We shouldn't pursue Jesus just because we want trial and hardship to go well. We shouldn't do that to use his power or his effort to help our hardship. But that's what he's commanded us to do in those times so that we can carry out his will. And when things aren't going hard and things are going really good, then you get to share that love and that relationship and have gladness with Jesus that everything is going the way it should. Trials are really, really difficult, and it's hard to think, man, God would let me go through that. But when you have faith in Jesus and you take a step back and look at the big picture of who he is, it makes sense. For me, I actually wasn't going to share this. I've gone through many of trials, times where I've wanted to question why all this is happening. Is God like sleeping on the job? What is going on? I mean, we've all felt that way. I know for me, uh, a big trial for me was my wedding. Uh, I got married two years ago. It was amazing. Uh, But a big hardship was my birth mother wasn't there. Uh, It was a big decision for me. Um, Ever since I was small, she just was absent in my life. And so I had to grow up with this weird dynamic of not ever really knowing my birth mother and having all sorts of confusion because why was she gone? It just didn't make sense. And you know, your dad, well, my dad, not your dad, my dad, could tell me that, you know, it's not your fault, you didn't do anything, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels really rough. And it's easy to look at that situation and be like, God, why couldn't this just be normal? Why is this the way it was? But that trial and that hardship in my life actually drew me to Jesus. It drew me to Jesus because I had nowhere else to go. Because what he said in the scriptures is that he loved loved me more than himself. That he was willing to do whatever it took so that we could have a relationship. And I knew after coming to terms with that that there was no other way I could live my life. And so I gave my life to him. My prayer for Pinewood, my prayer for you, is that you would pursue Jesus wholeheartedly, that you wouldn't allow things to get in the way, that you would prioritize him as number one, because it's easy to say that God is over everything, but when you look at your time and you look at your money, where does he stack up? Because it's hard to argue. The disciples said that they were committed all day. 
they're committed. But when it hit the fan, they all dispersed. My prayer for us is that we'd have the same tenacity and the same heart to seek out God no matter what situation is handed to us and worship Him. I want to pray us out. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this group and for Jesus, God, that He had an unconditional love. Lord, one that makes no sense. God, thank you for your forgiveness and loving us in the hardships that we go through. God, I pray that somebody in this room would seek you out because of the hardship in their life, Lord, that you would just let them see that you are here to give us grace, mercy, and love, and God, that you want to take our baggage to things that weigh us down and give us a hand with it. invite you out to our Easter service on April 21st at 10 a.m. at the historic Fox Theater on the Hill in downtown Boulder. We are so excited about bringing Pinewood Easter to the Fox Theater. It is going to be an incredible Sunday. You can expect there to be a life-giving environment, a hope-filled message about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and a lot of really amazing community. So, I hope that you'll join us April 21st at 10 a.m. at the Fox Theater. We're ready for you. Our community at Pinewood Church aims to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus in Boulder and around the world. Thank you for your support. If you would like to further connect with us, you can find out more at pinewoodboulder.com or on any social media platform with the handle at Pinewood Boulder.